our families have an untapped superpower that can help get our kids to heaven. Today's guest, Mike Shaughnessy, is here to share the strategic grandparent. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and today's guest is Mike Shaughnessy. He's got a great set of ideas here for us today that I think you're going to have a lot of fun with. Whether you're a grandparent or you know a grandparent, or like me, you're a parent, but you're the age of a grandparent, we're going to talk about the strategic grandparent today. Mike Shaughnessy is a leader in the Servants of the Word, an ecumenical religious order of men who live the vows of celibacy, simplicity, and obedience. He has been doing Christian youth work since he was 19 and was one of the first Catholics to work as area director for Young Life based in Avon, Minnesota. Excuse me. He has done youth work in Minnesota, Michigan, the UK, in London, and Belfast. Mike runs a monthly newsletter you might want to subscribe to. It's on youth culture, and he's also the founder of Grandly, and that's grandly.org. We'll have the link to the newsletter, which is Youth Culture News, in our show notes, and then also grandly.org and other links. Grandly, his organization, equips grandparents to be missionaries to their own grandchildren. This is summarized in Mike's book, which is The Strategic Grandparent. Mike has done interviews on EWTN. We have several links for you there in the show notes. And as a hobby, Mike writes novels. Two of those are The Archangel of Westminster and The Red Madonna. My goodness, you do so many interesting things. Welcome to the program, Mike. Well, thank you. It's really good to be here with you, Lisa. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited about this topic because I feel like our youth-obsessed culture is so superficial and we have so much age-shaming in our culture. It's very easy as older people, and I just turned 61 recently, to feel a little bit like the culture's not interested in us, that we get a little passed over. Um, but your book, The Strategic, Grand- Strategic Grandparent, introduces an exciting idea that gives families permission to really draw from the strengths of their elders, which is such an untapped superpower. So just tell us what you mean by being a strategic grandparent. Well, first, let me just say, I agree with you on the issue of uh, the role that uh, older people um, can play in the lives of, of, of everyone, actually, their peers, their children, and their grandchildren's lives. Uh, but I think some of, the, uh, some of the fault is the culture that does look at us that way and say, well, they're over the hill or something. And some of it is us believing the culture when it tells us that and we just give into it. And that is one of the things uh, we're trying to uh, overcome or get past uh, with Grandly and the Strategic Grandparent book. The reason we called it uh, the Strategic Grandparent uh, is it, it goes back to the difference between strategic and intentional. I know almost every grandparent I know, I should say, Almost every grandparent I know is intentional. They have dreams, goals, wishes, hopes for their grandkids. They want their grandkids to have wonderful lives. You know, give them a chance and they'd love to write a Disney story for their grandkids. That their grandkids could come out just like the next Disney princess or the <laughs> next white uh, knight in shining armor. Um, 
whatever. That, that's, but that's intentional. That's just being good-hearted. The challenge is that today we need parent, grandparents who are really strategic. And that means that they actually have a plan, a strategy, tactics, things in mind, not just a goal, but a way of achieving, a way of achieving that goal or that set of goals for their grandkids. So we call it the strategic grandparent. It goes back to uh, two friends of mine. Uh, both of whom love their grandkids. And one was always thinking about what he could do. And he would he would uh, ask me about, can I send him on a retreat? Is there a mission trip coming up, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and another friend who also loved his grandkids greatly uh, just said to me one day on the way home uh, in the car, uh, I have to stop off at the drugstore to pick up a birthday card for my teenager my granddaughter's becoming a teenager at 13, so we'll probably give her $20 instead of 10. And I thought, that's not much of a strategy. It's a very common behavior, and it's a common behavior that I think a lot of us picked up from when our grandparents uh, were grandparents. Uh, and the culture was supportive, and the schools were supportive, and the world around us was mainly supportive, et cetera. And we just don't live in that world anymore. And an approach that's that casual or that is that passive just won't work as good as being strategic will. So that's why we call it the strategic grandparent. Yeah, you know, when we talk about strategies at Homeschool Connections in our in our student study skills, skills class, we actually go through the whole definition of what we mean by strategic. And it means meeting the enemy under advantageous conditions on the field of battle. And so you're actually designing a plan or a set of plans and backup plans to meet the enemy. And so we, we certainly do have a spiritual enemy here that we're fighting. And the idea of being strategic is, you know, not just tucking a few bucks in a card, right? Exactly. And I think it's especially true for just about anybody in, in the homeschooling world. You homeschool because you're looking at this and saying, if I don't do this, it's going to become out, the outcome's going to be worse. But if I do this, it'll be better. I could send them to a Catholic school. I could send them to a public school, but I'm actually going to homeschool them for their advantage so that they will be uh, more capable adults and men and women of faith. So most all of your listeners will be already strategic in a certain way. That's helpful. Um, helping them to see that their grandparents can have a strategic part in the role of raising their children is also a big advantage. Uh, the uh, the exact the director for uh, Grandly. This is a funny thing about Grandly. I am uh, a celibate male in my 60s, and the director she started at 24 as a single woman. Um, so it was like, why are you running a grandparent? <laughs> I said, well, we're both youth workers, and our goal is actually the effect, the impact on the young kids, not just you know the uh, the grandparents. So, um, but both of us thought. There's a role for grandparents in youth work. If they see it and understand it, we can explain it and we can equip them to do it. They can play a role. Anyway, so she's now a mother. And I, when she had her first baby, I, I just said to her, uh, Pili, that's her name, P-I-L-I. It's a Latin American name. Um, who's on team Lucia? Who's your team? You want this girl to be the best possible girl she can be. Who's on your team? Uh, and talked about grandparents, 
friends, various people in various roles, you go, because we're in the body of Christ. We're not supposed to be just mom and dad raise the perfect kid. And I think there's a lot of people with that dream out there too. And it's really helpful to have your grandparents on your team. Helpful, but not always really possible. Yeah. Challenging, just, let's put it that way. So. Yeah. And I not just want to know, I'm sorry, Mike. I just want to note that part of what you're talking about, which we'll talk in more detail about later, is grandparents bringing their unique set of gifts and tools and perspectives and combining them with youth ministry strategies. Um, so if you could like step us into uh, like how, how that works, just give us some pictures to, to think about. Sure. So Youth ministry strategies, uh, a lot of these, are the, the main one, I think the, the biggest difference in some ways is that a youth worker generally influences from alongside, not from top down and not mainly from bottom up. So top down is I teach you and tell you and even command you or exercise some sort of authority, which parents have and have to exercise. Uh, that's a top down role. Primarily, it's not the only thing that you do as a parent, but it's one of the things that you do as a parent. And the, the bottom-up role is you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, and you're in the sidelines and you're cheering them on, but you're not really doing anything else than just kind of motivating. And the long side rule is a very unique rule, but I think it's the primary rule that a grandparent can play if they know how to play it. Don't be a substitute mom and dad but be much more like a youth worker. And a youth worker is much more likely just to be alongside. And, and a youth worker is one of the, the people who first starts relating to, especially teenagers, as adults. You have a conversation with them that they won't necessarily expect to have with their parents. You know, as teenagers individuate, as they call it in sociology, they're trying to figure out things for themselves. They want to own their views. They want to own their lives. They want to understand the world. And that is done better from alongside. That means that you have great opportunities for one-to-one -one work, but do you know how to do it? Do you know how to have a conversation with a 13-year-old? Do you have a, know how to have a conversation with an 18-year-old? Or worst of all, do you know how to have a conversation with a junior high boy? I was one. <laughs> and... You didn't want to have a conversation with me. And I didn't want to have a conversation with anybody. So. <laughs> the challenge. <laughs> I think you just threw down the gauntlet to all the grandparents listening. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's, that's the hope is for them to see uh, there are things that they could learn that would help them. Uh, how do you engage in service projects? Like most youth, most youth groups have service projects. Well, grandparents can be involved in those kinds of service projects as well, and then talk about the value of that when they come home. The, uh, the advantage that a grandparent has is uh, he or she has one of the key things that a youth worker has to work to achieve, which is a relationship of trust and friendship. That started 15 years ago. The new youth worker, hey, he's really cool. I've known him for two years and I'm starting to trust him. Uh, and I might bring up uh, you know, a, a serious question or two with him. But my grandfather or my grandmother has been there every step of the way. I've known them all of my life. And I think that's one of the big advantages that a grandparent has is they're not in their grandchildren's lives on the same basis as most adults are. You look at most adults, who's in your life? 
well, my coach, my teacher, my dentist, my pastor, my youth worker, um, all of these are jobs. And therefore I relate to you, the teenager, the young child, as someone in a role, not as a person, but grandpa and grandma are there just simply because they are grandpa and grandma. They're there on a relationship basis. And that's been one of the key tricks I think that's made youth worker youth work successful is saying, we want to be interested in a sixth grader's life, not be a coach, a teacher, a, uh, you know, someone in a role. We're there for you. That's what grandparents can do. Uh, if they pick up again, that youth workers identity, that kind of role, especially in the life of a child or a teenager. Yeah. And we'll get more into the granular level of what some of those techniques are and which are really expounded upon in your book. But say a little bit about Mike. You told such a sweet little vignette to me when we were talking the other day about a grandparent just taking his grandson fishing and and how like you're still coming alongside in that moment, but it has the opportunity for connecting in a deeper way. The main thing that uh, youth work, the youth work perspective can give to a grandparent is that ability to come alongside and do the one-to-one kind of work. So uh, you can take your grandson fishing. He's going to love simply going fishing. You're doing something that you both want to do together. To change the the analogy, these are all true stories. Uh, There's a grandmother who took her grandson to hear the Messiah because he was into music and so so was she. Then she used that opportunity because it brought up some natural conversation topics. What was your favorite song from the Messiah? What was this? Why did you like it? Well, it was because of this and this and this. And they ended up having a very good conversation about that because they're on the same page, interested in the same thing. Same thing with the grandfather. It takes a grandson fishing. You take him fishing. Then you go and you buy some ice cream. You sit on a park bench and you say, did I ever tell you the story of when I, and have your story ready, obviously, but maybe it was a story where it demanded courage from you as a grandfather, or maybe it was a a story of coming into a deeper relationship with the Lord, or maybe it was a story of overcoming a trial or suffering. And that kind of thing has a huge impact on a young mind. Uh, I just did a a short one minute Instagram uh, review on how do you tell the story of David and Goliath to a teenager? Don't just read it like a child Bible story. Get in there, picking up the stones. I know how to use this slingshot. This is going to be really, I got this guy. I got this guy. Tell that story. And a 12 year old boy is going to say, I want to be like David. And you go, exactly, you know, I see a lot of David in you. I think you can do this. You start encouraging and building up and giving self-confidence to your grandsons and granddaughters. They are going to be better people. They are going to be stronger Christians. That's just simply the reality. But it's it's that ability, especially the, that youth worker's ability to tell stories is also a key thing. It's a learnable skill. And when you do it, you see the results. Yeah, and, and I think of there's so many stories we had kind of unchurched Catholic kids in our home a lot, even before we started homeschooling, when my daughter was still in the public school. And I would tell them Bible stories. The older girl uh, was probably about 
10 or 11 at the time, and we knew them for many years. But I would tell her the story of Judith or Esther or Our Lady standing at the foot of the cross with a jeering crowd and a menacing Roman army around her, this little mother standing in solidarity with her son at the foot of the cross. I mean, there's so many ways, as you said, to really get into the story and really tell it and thrill them and intrigue them that the Bible is full of stories that they can absolutely relate to. And there's even the, 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 the other story roles, like either your own life or talking about their mom and dad. Every kid wants to know the real truth about mom and dad. Yeah. And every once in a while, I'll tell, you know, you can tell the, uh, a story of, yes, this was probably your dad's most embarrassing moment. But, <laughs> you know, it didn't hold him back. Or then you tell a great moment from your mom's life where she did this. Do you know that your dad did this? Do you know that your, or that your grandmother did this? It connects them to a family history and an identity and a sense of belonging that's just huge. They just feel like they belong. And one of the main things that happens during your teenage years is, I don't feel like I belong. Where do I belong? I want to fit in, but I want to stand out. And maybe today, I don't know which one of those I want to do. You know, I, I'm just a little bit older than you are. I grew up in the 70s and I wore those clothes. You know, now that you look back and you go, oh, I hope you burn all those <laughs> Oh pictures. my gosh. They better not show up at my funeral. But um, all of that was, I want to stand out and be somebody. On the other hand, you did it just the same way as everybody else was doing it and you weren't standing out by doing it. But that desire in young people, to, to be someone, to have a purpose, to be notable, noteworthy, you just go lean into that. And a youth worker calls that out of, uh, out of kids all the time. Yeah, noticing where they're strong, where they're gifted, where they're a little unique and, and just calling that out in them. Um, this is just such beautiful material. We could we could go very deeply into just that one piece. But what we do there, uh, homeschoolers have a particular cross to bear, and that is that oftentimes grandparents and extended family, who we would love to draw on to support our mission to raise our children with Christ at the center and living heroic lives of virtue. Very often they're not on board with us as homeschoolers, or they may have very different views politically, morally, et cetera. You know, these are pretty divisive times, as we know, within, even within the church, <laughs> maybe especially within the church. But anyway, so we're faced that cross. What do we do when it's just not a natural fit? Well, I, you know, I lived for 15 years in Europe uh, in the uh, 80s and 90s. And when I came back, I said, this country has changed because uh, a lot of things like sports radio, talk radio is all in your face, aggressive, alienating in the way that they spoke. And I thought that wasn't the way I was taught when I was young. You know, I can hear my grandmother say something like, we don't talk that way. And we didn't. And the culture didn't. The culture has shifted uh, a huge amount and makes that kind of speech much more acceptable than it was or it should be even. Um, so you do have uh, you have uh, a, an environment that's got more, oh, put it simply, anger and more vitriol in it. But I think the key question is not to define why is and why do they think and why do I think and all that. It's not to focus on that stuff. It's actually to focus on the opposite. One of the key things that you can do as a homeschooling parent who has some 
differences of opinions and, and viewpoints on things with just about everybody is find where you agree and work on that. So I know very few people in the world who are against honesty, who are against calmness, self-control, patience, goodness, charitableness, all these, the basic virtues, the vast majority of those things you can get anybody who is in your circle to help you with. Get them on your team playing the role you want them to play, not the role you don't want them to play, but get them on your team. They are your siblings. They are your grandparents. They are your, or your parents, or they are your neighbors. And it's learning how to work together in unity on the things where you are united. It's, uh, you can take this in, in any number of different directions, but there's, there, I have uh, siblings with whom I would very much agree on uh, certain uh, religious or spiritual topics. And then there'd be other siblings that I go, no, I agree with them on the political ones, but not the religious ones. So what do I do when I'm talking with them? I talk about the things that we agree on and say, how do we, how do we get closer? How do we unite more? How do we, this is one of the wonderful things about being involved in an ecumenical brotherhood. This has to be our way of life. We don't agree on this and we don't agree on that. And we don't agree on this. How can we love one another? That has to be the basis of it. And that's what everyone should be thinking about, whether you're in the grandparent role or you're in the parent role or wherever, whatever role you're, you're in, you say, I'm here for the good of others. How can I help that? happen. And almost everybody would agree, you know, I'd be on a team like that with you. Yes. Now find, identify those things and then ask him just straight up. You know, our seven-year-old boy is just a little bit grumpy these days. And I know you went through the grumpies yourself, grandpa. Can you and he go fishing and talk about grumpiness? There you go. Boom. You just saved yourself a lot of work and you have another person on your team who is going to come back and say, yeah, we had a great conversation and your relationship will improve. All of these things are the side effects of actually being strategic about this and saying the key thing is, how do we love? How do we support? How do we encourage uh, in the places where we can agree? And don't get too bothered about all the ones that you don't agree. A lot of those things just die out and become less important as you learn to talk about the things where you do agree. Mm-hmm. And, and in the process of showing the people we disagree with kind of chronically that we see value in them and that we're calling out the good and that we value it enough to place our vulnerable children in relationship with them. And I feel like honoring someone with that trust, and you, of course, you're going to pick carefully. If there's someone you genuinely can't trust, they're not part of the team. But if there is somebody who is ethical in their own way, that is, you know, uh, th- then when you're calling out the good in them, you you build that bond of trust in them and you get them more invested and give, get their buy-in on the well-being of your child as well. It just, on so many levels, I would think would draw graces. It's such a great way to push back on this tribal, uh, polarized culture of ours. Can you take us out of, of, uh, you know, kind of wrap this up for us, but just tell us some of the techniques that we're able to transfer from youth ministry into our lives with our grandchildren? Sure. Um, one of the key techniques, because this comes up regularly, which is how do you keep the bad stuff out of a kid's life? And 
my observation in youth ministry is that's not my primary job. My primary job is to build the good stuff in. And I use the analogy of the Metrodome in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I grew up going to baseball games there. You go in through revolving doors into a building where the roof was held up, cloth roof was held up by positive pressure. When the game was over, they'd open the doors. You walk in front of the doors, you got blown out because it was a high pressurized environment. Mosquitoes were never in the Metrodome. They couldn't <laughs> get in because it was so highly pressurized with good stuff. Huh. And if what you do is you help your children, your grandchildren, you, you build in the good things. This is, again, what a youth worker would think. I'm here not to correct everything. That's not my job. My job is to help build in as much of the positive as I can. And that means, yes, encouraging him. Uh, helping her, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also coming alongside of them and instilling some of those virtues uh, that may be lacking or might not quite be there yet. So that would be a, a mentality that you want to have uh, for sure is just simply saying, I want to work on the, the positive. I think the second key really is recognizing you do have wisdom to pass on. You know why it's important to be honest. You know why it is good to be good. You know why loving others has a dual good effect, both on you and the other person. So a lot of that stuff just comes from the basics of youth ministry. One of the other ones that I would say, if you're doing this, you're going to run into, and hope you do, is one of those conversations with a granddaughter or grandson in their teenage years where they don't want to go to mom and dad, and the first thing they do is say, Grandpa, can I tell you something? Promise you won't tell mom and dad. And they put you in a spot because you can't promise that. I mean, not really. But it's an interesting thing because they're manifesting that they already trust you enough to say to you, promise you won't, because it's the only way they can think about this, is you won't betray me, will you? That's what they're really saying. And you're saying, of course I won't betray you. I'm on your side. I'm on your team. I'm here for you. Uh, and so instead of answering the question and saying, I promise, what you say instead is, hey, I'm here for you. Whatever it is, let's talk about it. See what we can come up with. You know, we'll come up with some sort of solution, I'm sure. Let's work on it together. It's, again, alongside. It's because you've gained all that trust. It's all that kind of mentality. It's not the I'm, I am, I'm the expert here and I'm supposed to tell them what to do. So you give them the shutdown correction. How did you do that? Why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. You just go, okay, forget it. He's going to go walk out of the room and say, I guess I can't talk to grandpa or grandma uh, about this stuff where I thought I could before. So a lot of the, the connectivity, all of the, 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 those styles, those techniques are, some of them uh, are in the book. I, I, there's a section in the book called Youth Ministry 101. It has 10 principles of youth ministry. You want to do youth work? Here are 10 things you need to pay attention. I can't get into all those here, obviously, in the, in the little time that we have. So, but they're there. Yeah. And, and I'm just noticing that, um, that when a child comes to us and doesn't want us to tell anybody, 
you're right that that really bespeaks an enormous trust. And I feel like what you were just describing of not why did you do that or asking those kinds of judgmental questions. And I don't mean holding back on modeling virtue and, and our wisdom at all. And I know you didn't mean that either. But asking kind of the, the open ended questions, I'm sure youth ministry people get trained in this, like, what was that like? Or how did that feel? And then what, you know, asking kind of questions that keep the story unfolding, rather than overreacting emotionally or whatever, just staying with them and being almost like getting down into a warm pool with them and just noticing things and asking good questions so that they know that you're fully present to them. As a coach, that's that's my bread and butter. But I noticed that really good youth ministers do that. I remember I came to a youth minister once. My daughter was going through a hard time. She was 13. And I said to him, she feels like if people really knew her, they wouldn't like her, the real person inside. And he's and he said they all feel that way. And so to have somebody listen in a non-judgmental way gets us out of enemy territory spiritually too. If we're the person who loves them no matter what and really listens, isn't threatened by the mistakes they're making, but really listens and comes alongside, then we defeat evil in that moment because that child is no longer isolated. They're in the realm of love. I think of the, the grandparent who does get into a conversation with a teenage uh, son, grandson or daughter, uh, and they say something, especially if, if, if you've brought it up and said, so what do you think about this and this and this? And they say something, you go, oh, my goodness, everything in me wants to say, how could you think that? I know. What do you do? You say, you might well say, well, thank you. I you know, appreciate hearing what you think on this. Now, I bet you'd probably know I wouldn't agree with you. Um, why do you think I don't agree with you? It, it puts it back, it, it keeps the conversation going and it, and it puts responsibility back on them to learn how to get into someone else's shoes and viewpoint and actually think about it. And you say, well, you probably think this and this and this, and they'll go away thinking a lot more deeply and probably be much more likely to change their mind about it than they would if you said, no, I don't agree with that. Here's what I think is right. You've now polarized the situation again. But a youth worker will say polarization with youth is almost always unhelpful. Almost always, not always, but almost always unhelpful. And knowing how to, to um, have that kind of inclusive conversation is a whole lot better. Let me give you one real quick last story here. This is one that uh, my sister was in youth ministry with me. And uh, she, she, this is a few years back now. Her granddaughter was 11 and they were in the car together. And the uh, granddaughter says to my sister, um, Grandma, how do you know if you might be a lesbian? And, you know, my sister goes, you're 11 years old. I didn't even know what the word meant when I was 11. And if I did know what it meant, I would never have asked my grandmother that question. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So she started chuckling inside, you know, okay, well, here we are. We're driving in the car, you know, together. And she says, well, uh, what makes you think that? And she says, boys, boys are so mean. I just don't like them. And she says, well, I'm not convinced that that would make you a lesbian, but if we want to talk about it more. We can just kind of recognize it. it was kind of off the cuff kind of comment, but it was still one of those, maybe I'm, I could, maybe I shouldn't have this conversation. So they let it drop, and uh, my sister went back to, the, to her, the mother of the girl, and 
told her what happened and said, and got encouragement to keep on going. Anyway, the next time they're in the car together, my sister says, so, hey, where have you gotten to on that lesbian question? And, uh, you know, which is like a casual, throwaway kind of an approach, but didn't put any pressure on her. And she says, oh, I'm not worried about that. There's this boy. (laughs) (laughs) But the key point of it was she understood that her granddaughter brought it up in a safe space in a trusted relationship, all those kinds of things. You go, you learn those techniques of youth ministry and it really does help you work with young people who should be forming their own worldview, their own values and, and becoming an adult. You want them to become adults. Um, it's a good way of being able to do it anyway. Yeah, I can't, can't wait to see your book. This is uh, just so rich. And everybody, go to grandly.org. That's G-R-A-N-D-L-Y.org for more about Mike Shaughnessy. And again, in the show notes, we'll have his newsletter link, his interviews on EWTN. And uh, I guess we could put in some links to your novels too, Mike. That would be fun to share with people since they're coming from such a beautiful place of values. Um, any just final thoughts for us, Mike? Sure. I think we are in... Uh... I think most of us would say we're in unusual times. The world is just a little bit crazier than it was (laughs) a year ago, let's put it that way. And it's been getting gradually more and more kind of like, okay, what planet am I on? And one of the things that I say to grandparents, because many grandparents say, I wouldn't want to have to raise any children today, boy, not in this world. And I say, you've got exactly the right response or the right reaction and the wrong response. The reaction is, wow, this world is going weird. The response, however, should be God's in charge of it still. And how do I get onto the same page that God's on uh, on this so that I can be working with him and participating with him uh, in his plan? And then that gives you a different view of your grandchildren. Because if the world is going to get 10 times worse than it is now, It means that God has had your grandchildren born into this age because he needs saints, missionaries, martyrs, leaders, men and women of virtue to change this world. Because, yes, it is a world that needs to be changed. You have a role in making that happen if that's the times that we're living through. Yes, you can say, oh, for the good old days when everybody agreed on everything and there's no questions Well, those good old days probably didn't exist nearly as much as you thought they did. But the days that we're in right now, they are more divisive, more challenging, et cetera, et cetera. But your grandchildren are born into this day. And what if God wants to use them? And what if God wants to use you to get them into position to be the men and women that God wants them to be? That's my question. What if the most important thing you will ever do in your life is still in front of you? And it is having a conversation with your grandson or your granddaughter that puts them on a life course where God uses them and makes them into the great saints of the world that it needs today, tomorrow, and the day after. God bless the church and may it endure with glorious young men and women that God wants to see. And let's have grandparents become some of the world's greatest missionaries ever. Amen and amen. I think like probably everybody listening, I almost want to give a fist pump and, and, and just shout because I really feel like it's such a, 
A beautiful and loving battle cry. We are in this time right now with these kids, and there's a purpose to it all. Mike, can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for your generosity in being with us, for your new book, and for everything that you do out there in the world to empower grandparents in this fight. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Lisa. All right, everybody. Thank you for being with us, and stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Hi friends, this is Chantal with Ideal to Real. The goal here is to inspire you to remember that holiness and homeschooling are possible in the midst of the real life that you are living right now. So we are at that famous, rather glorious moment where for a few amazing weeks, we feel like we are in a groove. <laughs> the Lenten momentum and the hope of spring seems to fuel our homeschooling for a moment. My friends, it's seed planting time. You see, homeschooling is not about running away. It's about freedom to tend the garden of our children's souls, their skills and their loves. It's about letting the wildflowers be wildflowers and the turnips be turnips, as my friend Melody Lyons would say, and to take the seedlings that we have been given and keep them flourishing in this oh-so-rocky world. So often, homeschooling is considered a cave, as if we're running away, hiding, fearfully shuddering from the reality of sin and all it entails. But my friends, it really is a greenhouse. A greenhouse in which we are building up the kingdom of God, the saints of this generation. And we are the gardeners that are tending these sweet souls, helping them be strong. So how do we keep them flourishing? Here are four simple ways to keep the light shining and the soil of eagerness alive and well in the hearts of your little ones. The first tip I have for you, as most of you would probably guess, is read aloud. Read aloud to your children. Immerse your family in amazing literature. Do not stop diving deep into the richness of literary bliss. The second tip I have for you today is to listen to great music and to sing. It is so important that we continue to expand the palette of our musical ear and our musical ability. So no matter where you are, if you're tone deaf or not, press in, sing your hearts out. My next tip for you today is to make sure to take time to soak in nature, even in the midst of mud season. It's glorious, glorious for the soul, glorious for the, for the youthful, vibrant health and vitality that it brings. And of course, it's glorious because little people get to slosh through mud puddles this time of year. And this is gonna stir up curiosity and wonder and awe like almost nothing else. My fourth tip for you is to make sure that you provide ample opportunities for your kids to present, to stand up and share, to teach. This helps them overcome their insecurities and it's the number one thing you can do if you really want your kids to grow to be leaders. So there you have it, my friends. Read aloud, listen to great music, soak in nature, and make sure that you are constantly offering your children opportunities to present the things that they're passionate about. I'm going to leave you with a great quote from Gandalf, the wise Gandalf from The Lord of the Rings. He says, 
It is not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the succor of those years wherein we are set, uprooting the evil in the fields that we know, so that those who live after may have clean earth to till. What weather they shall have is not ours to rule. My friends, we have no idea what the Lord has in store for our children. The moment is now for us to nurture them well, to uproot the evil in their path, and to make sure that moving into their futures, they have the courage, the grit, and the capacity to stand against the storms that inevitably will come their way. I'm Chantal Howard. Head over to aromarosary.com or chantal-howard.com to find some great Lenten resources, meditations, health challenges, and even a way for you to journey through Lent aromatically. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school students. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.